morning is the second half of, of what it means when we go into our room and we shut the door and we pray. And so I'm not talking about corporate prayer now. I'm not talking about the prayer that we do together, like we prayed together in the meeting this morning. I'm talking about our individual prayer with God. And what happens um, when we pray? And sometimes there are challenges when we try and pray alone. Have you ever noticed that? I found praying hard. Prayer is hard. <laughs> and sometimes we like to, um, as Christians, we feel like we can't say that because then we're kind of not being faithful Christians if we say prayer is hard. Prayer can be hard. And I'd like to look at why sometimes prayer can be hard. And I believe the devil wants to, to stop us praying because he knows the power there is in prayer. And so he'll do everything that he can to distract us from praying. And so I'd, I'd like to look at why that might be this morning. And the first thing I want to say is that I have discovered that private personal prayer is one of the hardest disciplines to maintain in my own life. I'm not just talking about the actual time, making time to pray. I'm talking about the thing that you do when you pray. That thing, all right? Have you ever, have you ever found that your mind wanders instantly the moment you want to pray? Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> you shut the door and you sit down and you say, God, now I'm going to pray, and suddenly your mind is, whoop, somewhere else. Um, have you ever thought why that distraction is so evident? Uh, I want to suggest there's a couple of things. And by way of introduction, I want to say this to you this morning. I think, firstly, it's because prayer is a vulnerable place. It admits vulnerability. When we pray, what we actually are saying is we are inviting someone else into our life, into the private place of our heart, where we don't often like to go. <laughs> and sometimes we don't want others to see what is in the private place of our heart. And we're inviting God to touch us there, like, like um, Clive was encouraging us in the, in the worship this morning, to allow God to touch us in that secret place where we don't often like other people to see what is really there. And that's why prayer is hard because it is, it, is a, it is being vulnerable. It is opening yourself and saying, God, I want you to see what is inside. Secondly, uh, I believe that the most powerful times of prayer in my own life have involved silence. And we don't like to be quiet. <laughs> We, we don't like just to, um, to, to completely open our lives and get rid of the clutter and just be silent. It's very hard for us to do as modern people. And I was just reflecting on this psalm this week, Psalm 62, which just says, God alone is my soul, for God alone my soul waits for in silence. From Him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Then verse 5, For God alone, my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from Him. And there is this encouragement that God has that when we find Him in a place of silence, a powerful, powerful thing happens. But I found this in my life, and I don't know if you can relate to this, but I think that silence can also be frightening. Have you ever experienced that? And I think uh, I love going out into the bush in, in Africa. We call it the bush. Here we would call it the country. 
where you can see the stars and it's just this amazing inky blackness above you and all you can see is stars and it's quiet it's silent and you know that can be a wonderfully liberating thing but for some people that it can be frightening as well <laughs> that silence where uh, uh, have you ever noticed that when you silent like that you can hear your heartbeat and you can hear your when you swallow you can hear yourself swallow you can hear the sound of your hands rubbing in that kind of silence and then you start to hear other things you start to hear the wind rustling through the trees you start to hear uh, in Africa where I grew up the grass is very long and you can hear the sound of the grass as it moves in the wind when you're quiet and that's an amazing amazing place there's no noise of the city there's no background roar of the cars there's no ambulance or train uh, like we, where we live in Watford, Saturday nights are ambulance nights. I mean, there are just sounds of, of sirens from midnight to four in the morning. Just, and when the windows open, you hear it all the time, just ambulance sounds. There's a background noise. There's no radio, there's no television, no music playing. And that's a wonderful place to be where there's that kind of silence. But like I said, uh, if we are not good at handling silence and we, we kind of like to fill our lives with that kind of background noise, is it any surprise to us, is it any wonder then when we try and pray that we find it difficult? It's like we've we alienated from silence. Like silence, we, 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 we don't know how to embrace it. We don't know how to embrace just being quiet. Uh, I've often been fascinated sometimes. Uh, we love to go to France on holiday and I love walking on the beach. But some people can't even walk on the beach without headphones. I find that incredible. It's like you want to be silent. You just want to get away from it. You just want to walk on the beach and feel the sand through your toes and hear the sound of the lapping of the, of this, the ocean. And then others want to just have headphones on. It's like silence. Even in that place, we don't want silence. We don't want it to be quiet. And uh, we have to learn somehow to make that break with all of the noise around us. So I'm talking about that physical silence, but then I'm also talking about a silence of the heart. A silence of the heart. And I'm not meaning just getting rid of that external noise. I'm talking about also cultivating an inward, inward silence of our hearts. Um, that we are in, in touch with who we are. We are at home with ourselves, if I can put it like that. Uh, have you ever noticed this? That sometimes when you're quiet... Even though there's no external noise, there's an internal rushing that starts to happen. Have you ever noticed that when you're quiet? Suddenly, unresolved emotions pop up. Suddenly, angry thoughts that you don't even know were there. When you're quiet, they kind of pop up. And I think that's why we don't like to be quiet. Because sometimes we don't want to deal with that stuff that's been there for years, and we just try and block it out and block it out and block it out, and yet it is there, and it rages on the inside of us like a, a rushing of a rapid, like a river rapid, and, it's, and if we keep quiet, we hear it starting to make a noise, and we kind of try and push it down. What I'm trying to say to you is that when we, when we enter a quiet room, for example, or we have a quiet space around us, it doesn't automatically mean... <laughs> that we have that inward silence, that inward silence of the heart. And this internal conversation that we have with ourselves can be just as noisy as what we're trying to block out in the world 
around us. And so, why is it so crucial that we learn to embrace silence in prayer? Well, I'm convinced because when we're in that quiet place, the gentle gardener, the master gardener, he comes, and he comes into our heart, and he pulls out weeds of bitterness, he pulls out weeds of unforgiveness, and he pulls out hatred, and he pulls out all those things, and he carefully makes place in our hearts for wonderful fruit to begin to grow. And he does it gently so that he doesn't damage us in any way. And so I want to encourage you, as Clive's encouraged us in worship to go deeper, I want to encourage you in your personal prayer life to go deeper with God and allow the master gardener to come and do some weeding if he needs to do some weeding. And some planting if he needs to do some planting. You know what I found? Is that we can... We can, uh, we can fill our lives with noise, but when you are asleep, and when you are trying to sleep, then you know whether you have a peace in your heart or not. Isn't it often at night we wake up in a sweat? Have you ever had that? I had that last night, not because I was worried, but because my son was supposed to be home at half past twelve, and I woke up at half, half past one in the morning, and he was not yet home. So my heart was racing a little bit, saying, well, where's my son? Where's my son? But there is that reality, isn't it? Sometimes there's, we find out at night when we're trying to sleep, then the, then the real wrestling happens in our hearts in the quiet hours of the morning. So cultivating that inner silence. How, how much time are you giving in your life to cultivate that inner silence in, in your life? Um, there's a wonderful Catholic writer who I've mentioned before, a guy called Henry Nowen. And he uses this, this uh, image. He says... We are resistant to the silence in our lives and we are resistant to prayer in, 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 in this, this image of a clenched fist. <laughs> he says our lives are like clenched fists. That, that shows a tension, it shows a desire to cling on to ourselves, it shows a, a posture which is fearful, like holding on like this. And sometimes we think if we begin to open our hands and let God into the inside of us that we're going to actually lose our very lives. That's how fearful we are of opening up our hearts to the Lord. But there's an invitation that every time we pray, we, we, more, we, we, we just take one more little step in beginning to open our hands and let God into the inside of us. And, and that's why it's, it's, it's frightening for us because we begin to open our hands and let go of control and say, Jesus, I want you on the inside of me in every and I'm opening myself completely to you. And often um, we don't want to let go, even if we're not proud of what we see inside of us, because we feel like if we do let go of it, we can let go of something that is, makes us who we are. Have you ever found yourself saying things like this? Well, that's just me. I'd like to change, but that's just me. That's the way I am. That's just the way it is. You see, here's the problem with that kind of thought process in our lives. If we give in to that kind of thinking and we don't allow the Holy Spirit to transform us from the inside, when you talk like that about yourself, what you've really done is give up the belief that your life can be any different, that God actually can transform you. And so sometimes we hold on to our sorry past tightly rather than letting go of it to embrace a happy future because we feel like if we let go, we're going to lose something of who we are. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? And so we hold on. We refuse to surrender. And we, we hold on to bitterness because we're not 
someone was not grateful for a kindness that we showed them, and so we, 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 we keep a little bit of bitterness on the inside. We feel jealous of those that are doing better than us at, um, and are earning more money or better paid, and we hold on to this little bitterness, and we're kind of like, well, it's not me. Uh, we wait, wait, wait for moments of revenge when we can get even with someone who didn't show us respect. Or you hold on to disappointment because someone didn't accept your apology. Or like Helen had to face an angry traffic warden on the way up to, um, to Ipswich during the week. We can let those things get to us instead of just letting them go. When someone's rude to us and they, they didn't have any right to be rude to us. You see, I found this. You can live like those things don't matter, all those things that I've just mentioned, and you can live through them, and you can, you can kind of get on with life, and you can be reasonably happy, but here's the problem. When you try and pray, <laughs> when you close the door, and you say, God, now I'm going to pray, then they rush up if you haven't dealt with them, and you cannot pray. So, I want to encourage you with the words that the angel encouraged Zechariah, the angel came to Mary, and the angel came to the shepherds as we start thinking about Christmas. And what did the angel say to all of those people? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I'm asking you, as, we, as, we, as a church learn to pray, and as a church we, we learn to go deeper in worship, I'm asking you, do not be afraid. Open your hands. I'm learning in my own life. I want to open my hands and let God onto the inside of me where He can see what is really there and only He can change what is really there. Do not be afraid. Do not be anxious. Why? Because He's a good God. He loves you. His smile is upon you. There's no condemnation for you if you're in Christ Jesus. You know all of these things. Don't be afraid to, to offer Him your disappointments your jealousies, things that you wish hadn't happened. Why? Because He is love. God is love. And He knows what is there anyway. And He wants to, as you open your hand, you know what God does? He blows on it and it disappears. And it's gone forever. Will you let it go? You know, sometimes we think uh, we can, if we just tidy up ourselves a little bit, then we'll be able to respond to God better. Do you understand what I'm saying? If we just tidy up our hearts a little bit, then actually we'll be able to respond to God better and He will connect with us and we will connect with Him. But that really is a a fearful response. And it really is an exhausting response. (laughs) If you're always trying to tidy up your heart just so that you can connect with God a little bit better, it's exhausting. (laughs) I want to encourage you, let it go. That's the best way. Let it go. Go, open your hands, and that thing that you're holding on to, let it go so that God can blow on it and remove it as far as the east is from the west. And I, I've discovered, and I am discovering, that this is a, it's a long spiritual journey, isn't it? When you're in your, in your 20s, you think you're invincible and that the world is going to just bow to your amazing gifts and talents. Uh, when you're in your 30s, you discover that actually it's not so easy. In your 40s, you are thinking about what you should have done. <laughs> and in your 50s, I think you start to make peace with it. <laughs> and I've started making peace with my life now. 
I do believe this. If we start to get this place that I'm trying to describe to you this morning, then prayer becomes joyous. Prayer becomes inspired by the Holy Spirit. In that sense, prayer becomes effortless in that sense. And I, I want to say to you, that's why the devil doesn't want you to learn to pray like this. Out of this place of freedom. Out of this place of open-handedness. Because if he can keep you distracted and busy and churning on the inside, he's got you captive, hasn't he? And why does he want to keep you captive? Because prayer is the most powerful resource that we have as believers. And he will do all that he can to stop you in your private place from praying. And from your hands being open. And from your heart being open. And allowing God just to deal with things on the inside and transform you. But the prayer of a righteous man <laughs> and woman. From a quiet, trusting, unfearful heart is an incredibly powerful thing. And he knows that. And my encouragement to you this morning is to allow God to start doing some stuff at a deeper level in your life and in your heart so that your prayers become increasingly powerful and effective. Levin, uh, Leonard Ravenhill wrote a book called Why Revival Tarries. And he says this, and I'm quoting, this is what he says, No man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who's not praying is playing. <laughs> the people who are not praying are straying. The pulpit can be a shop window to, to, to display your talents. The prayer closet shows, is, allows no showing off. Poverty stricken as the church is today in many things, she is most stricken here in the place of prayer. We have many organizers, few agonizers. Many players and payers, few prayers. Many singers, few clingers. Lots of pastors, few wrestlers. Many fears, few tears. Much fashion, little passion. Many interferers, Few intercessors, many writers, but few fighters. Failing here, we fail everywhere. Can you hear his heart, his encouragement for the church to become a praying church? This is where our power is. This is, this is where the life is as we learn to pray. And so I'm not putting anything on you. I'm learning these things in my own life and trusting God to take me to a deeper level in my own life, in terms of my own prayer, and I trust as a church we will go a much deeper level in terms of how we pray. But what I'm trying to remind you today is that we really are spiritual beings. And it's not, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to say this is why we ought to pray. Uh, I think we know that we need to pray. What I'm trying to get us to see this morning, it's not about necessarily the priority of praying, but it's when we are reminded of the significance of prayer, then it takes its right priority in our lives, isn't it? And so, two little things with which I will close this morning. What is the most significant thing about prayer? First of all, it releases the power of God. That's why it's significant. Without the power of God, what we are doing is in vain. Unless God builds the house, we labor in vain. How does God build a house? 
as we simply trust Him in prayer and we obey what He calls us to do. And we need God more in this day than we have needed Him ever before. As the old adage that someone has said, when we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. Amen? <laughs> and I want God to work. I want God to work in our lives and in this church, and so let's give ourselves to praying. Without the power of God, the church is powerless. And so there are many ways that we can work for God, but the only way that we can work with God is when we learn to pray in a humble, contrite way as God moves us. And so that's why I believe the devil will do all he can to disturb the quietness of your heart, to get you to hold on to unforgiveness and bitterness so that you cannot pray. Another hero of mine is a guy called Oswald Chambers. Anyone uses a devotional, my utmost for his highest, and he simply says this, prayer does not equip us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. That's what we're called to do. As Christians, as disciples of Jesus, as followers of Christ, our highest calling is prayer. Our highest calling is to, to um, ask God for His deliverance and for only what He can do. That's our highest calling. And especially for Christian leaders, uh, people like myself, prayer precedes preaching, prayer pre precedes teaching, prayer precedes leading worship, all those things we do which are good things. It is the highest work that we are called to as believers. And I want to encourage you in your own prayer life that you're rooted in that. It's the highest thing you are called to do is to pray. Secondly, and this is the title of my message really, not only is prayer powerful in uh, releasing God's work, prayer brings us home to Himself. Prayer brings us home to God. And I'm, in a way, I'm circling back to where I started out this morning. Prayer really is the highest call. And it's not just because it releases the power of God. That is true. But it's equally true that God doesn't intend prayer just to be a resource for ministry. Yeah, we need some stuff to, to be done. So we pray and we ask for God's power and He releases it and, and it happens. There's something about prayer deep in our souls that is fundamental to who we are as, as beings. And I've said already, we are spiritual beings. And that's what sets you and I apart from the animal kingdom. That's what it means to have personhood. Something of the fact that we are spiritual beings, not just physical beings. We might relate in this world as physical beings, but our primary consciousness in our makeup is that we are spiritual beings, that we are designed to worship, that we are designed to have fellowship with God. And because, you know, well, because of sin, because of the fall of man, Genesis 3, our identities got all reversed and all weird. And so now we do see ourselves more as physical beings rather than spiritual beings. And so our material appetites have become enlarged and our appetite for spiritual things has diminished. And as, as a result, our dependence on God is radically diminished and we delude ourselves to think that we are self-sufficient, to think that we can do it all ourselves. We become egocentric and we become spiritually blind. And when that is the tone of our lives, what, the ultimate um, end point of that is that we stop praying because basically, prayer is saying, God, I need you. That's what prayer is. So I'm saying to you that actually, prayer is so vital 
Because it brings us home to God. It brings us home to Himself. It's not about what God can do for us. We discover as we pray that, God, that actually prayer brings us back to God. Brings us back to a fundamental dependence on Him and we start to actually realize that He's the most important thing that we need. And it's good that some of our stuff is answered, but actually He is the treasure of our hearts. He is our great reward. Here's our portion. Here's our cup. And so that's the profound irony, isn't it? We, we reach this place in our lives where we feel so helpless, so exhausted, that eventually we come to Jesus. <laughs> eventually we come to God. We're in so de desperate a place, and we ask Him, and we trust Him, and we say, God, we're trusting you that there's going to be the best possible outcome for this thing in my life. But as we pray, we gradually be, 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 begin to rediscover that actually we depend on Him totally and that our identity is found in Him. And that's the beautiful thing that happens. And so the heart of prayer is finding out that actually it's not the solution to our problems that's the most important thing, but rather the most important thing is coming home to our Father. That's the most important thing. Prayer draws us back to Himself and it reminds us that we are primarily spiritual beings that are created to be in fellowship with Him. And so I want to finish with one scripture, please, if you can turn with me to Luke 11, just a couple of verses from verse 5. And uh, just this, these verses illustrate what I'm trying to say to you this morning. Uh, I trust that you are, will be encouraged. And this is Jesus teaching His disciples to pray. And you know how He starts. He says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And then he goes on to say this, it's an illustration. He says, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me, the door is shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything, I tell you. Though he would not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence he will rise and give him what he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father amongst you, if his son asks for fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent. And if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. I tell you then, if you, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I mean, there's much we could say out of this little portion that Jesus teaches about prayer, but I just want to focus on uh, those little words. I have nothing to set before Him. I have nothing. This is the first thing that needs to be rooted in us as we learn to pray. It's the most fundamental thing that we need to be motivated by. Only when we truly know that we have nothing does prayer take on its true significance in our lives. We've got to come to this place of holy desperation knowing that outside of Christ we have nothing. <laughs> we have nothing. As long as we feel like I've got a good education... I've got the power, I've got the resources, I've got the savings. We won't fully know the power of prayer. And those are all good things. Education is good, 
savings are good, a good job is good. But I'm talking about going deeper in prayer. I'm talking about going deeper with God until we reach that place in our lives where we say, God, we are desperate for your presence and outside of you, I have nothing to give. We will not know the power of prayer in our lives. And so prayer, my friends, it's not about using God to get what we want. It's about finding God. It's not about using God to answer our needs and our problems, but it's about finding who God is and enjoying Him. This is the highest goal of man. The Westminster Confession says to worship God and enjoy Him forever. And prayer is that thing that cultivates a deep spiritual hunger and draws us deeper into God. So I want to encourage you, as my friends in this church, as we journey together and we learn to go deeper in worship and we learn to go deeper in prayer, can you learn together with me to unclench your fists? To unclench your hands? And to let go of those things that we just hold on to with all of our minds? Why? Because God wants to blow on them and release them from you. Will you open your hands? And I want to encourage you again, do not fear. God is love and He will not damage you as you open your hands. And He wants you to find that place of silence, the, pl the pl place of peace and joy and inspired prayer. Why? Because it's powerful, it's significant, and not only because it releases the power of God, but ultimately because it brings you home to God Himself as your Father. God help us to learn how to pray. We need Him more than anything. We need His presence more than anything. God bless you. I'm going to pray now and we're going to break bread. And maybe when we break bread this morning, you can just, in your own heart, do a little bit of opening your hands. I don't know what it is that you're holding on to. I know that we hold on, all of us hold on to something. And God wants you to let it go. And He wants to blow on it and bring life and release you from that thing. Amen? Father, I want to thank you for your presence. I want to thank you for the power of prayer in our lives. And God, I pray that you teach us as a people, that you teach us as a, as a church how to open our hands to you, how to be those that in the inward place of our lives find a place of silence where we're at home with ourselves, where we're not striving, where we're just resting in you and that you are transforming us. And Lord, we pray this morning that you just take us a little bit deeper as we journey with you. That we would learn a little bit more of how much you want to speak to us when we pray. That we would understand of you a little bit more, of you as our Father, as we learn to give ourselves in prayer. And that you would, our home, we would find our home in you as we simply learn to pray. I pray that as, an, as individuals, and I pray that as a church, Lord, that you would show us these things as you take us deeper in worship, in prayer, and in the ministry of your Spirit to us. And so, Lord, as we break bread this morning, we want to just take a moment to reflect on these things and ask by your Holy Spirit that you'd come and seal them in our hearts. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that washes us whiter than snow. And we ask, Lord, this morning, that as we break bread, you would remind us of these simple things and we rejoice in every good thing that you've done for us 
through the cross and through the blood of Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.